Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michael from the Santa Monica studio, uh, joined now by officially a reoccurring guest. You know, it's a big deal that she's here. <laughs> it's only during the majors, uh, a tennis journalist. Big name for herself. She hosts the three podcasts with Gil Gross and Joel Drucker. Uh, Amy Lundy's here. Amy, welcome back to Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks so much for having me. It's a lot of fun talking with you, Mitch. Yeah, I mentioned it being a big deal uh, because we can kind of segue into it in a second, but it's a major. Your podcast focuses on the three greatest men's tennis players of all time. And I felt like at this French Open 2022, men and women, but I felt like this was a historic one. Like while it was happening, as we got to the finals, as stuff started to happen, there's debates over greatest and what run means the most and all that stuff. But didn't you get the sense too that we're going to be talking about this one for a long time. Like the events that happen on the men's and women's side, I feel like one way or another are going to be brought up down the road, like 2022 French open had some real historical ramifications. Totally. You really hit it because I, I really want people to appreciate what is happening right now, because five years from now, when, you know, Andre Rublev is playing Alcaraz for the final or whatever, and, and it's just major number one or two for these guys. We're going to be looking back on what has just happened and what is happening right now. And we're going to think, whoa, those were big days, huge tournaments with historical significance. And did we really appreciate it or were we too caught up in the debating and the arguing? Um, so I really want fans and viewers to appreciate what we've got right now. Yeah, there's different generations of greatness happening. We're seeing it on the way up. We're seeing it on, on the, definitely on the mantle. We're also seeing it kind of on the way down. A lot of different ways to start, but you start with the guy that, that's won it 14 times, uh, Rafael Nadal, his 22nd major, uh, beating four top 10 players to do it, one of his hardest paths to a title. And yet here he is, Amy, now 112 and three at the French Open, uh, goes through Felix in five sets followed by the Djokovic match in four. Zverev unfortunately gets hurt, and then he dispatches of Rude uh, in three straight sets. But, Amy, I just I, I marvel at what he's done and what he's doing, but I think the biggest thing is ramping up after that five-set match against Felix. That was the first of a, of a bunch of tests. Little did we know that would be his hardest match in the entire tournament. That was an intense match. I mean, I was sweating watching it, and... I'm of the belief, actually, that Nadal had control of the match. Others will argue and say that no, Zverev was actually crushing the ball um, and that Nadal actually stole that first set. But because of the way tennis is a sport of errors and because of the way the errors were shaking out and Zverev was making more errors, more unforced, I actually gave Nadal the slight edge and and 
might have expected him to go on to win the match, although yeah. would he have won in five? Who knows? I, I um, agree. I, and I kind of misspoke. Um, starting with, I guess, the Felix match was what I thought was his toughest match. But I think Zverev could have gotten there. Um, it's funny because that's Zverev semifinal. I know we're jumping ahead, but when you see a scoreline, like if you're not watching the match and you see big lead in the tie break and then the doll wins, you assume, like I would, like we all would assume that Zverev kind of blew it, like there was some choking involved, but those points were incredible. Like it wasn't, Zverev could have done things better. All athletes think you can improve when you lose or when you're on the other end of it. But I don't really think this was Zverev doing much other than maybe not raising his level to a level that we've never seen before on clay and what Nadal was able to do in that first set. That was a great point by you. I mean, think of the passing shot in the tie break uh, to make it six, four, six. Um, that was not somebody uh, making a mistake or choking. That was just greatness personified. Mm -hmm. And um He's done it before Nadal, so I guess we shouldn't be so surprised when he's able to dig out of a hole like that. But at the same time, the shot making on the hurt foot after he's played a five set marathon against Felix at his age, it's just incredible what he's able to accomplish. I, I have another question into this whole thing, and that's how is he an underdog again? Like, I, I know. Can you imagine. I know. I'm trying to think of a comparison and I'm struggling with it, but in any other setting, in any other sport, individual or team where there's just this domination, and I know there was an injury thing, but he showed up at the event. We saw the practice videos. He looked good. How is this guy, like as he's breathing, as he's entered into a tournament, how is he not the favorite every single time? Like it's crazy. And, and the way he handles that, by the way, with Clash just speaks to him because you know a lot of other athletes would probably be a little irritated. They've won this tournament so many times and they're not seen as they should be the prohibitive favorite. I am irritated as heck with myself. Yeah, I picked Rafa to win the Australian Open when nobody else was picking him. I'm like, you can't pick against Nadal. You can't pick against Nadal. And yet in this column that I write, this guy like forces me to to make players to watch which are essentially picks and I picked Djokovic how could I pick against Nadal I mean what was I thinking especially after I picked him to win the Australian Open but um he's he's you know unstoppable on this surface right now and when he's on he knows exactly what he's doing he knows how to massage the surface and the points and he knows how to play what were your thoughts of the Djokovic match in particular? I know it was not the same round, but a non-final matchup, just like the year before. The first set happened similar to last year. Nadal looks amazing, is the better player. Set two happens, and Nadal blows a, a double break lead. And, you know, the odds markets, everything shifts to Djokovic looks like he's going to win this match. That's where the comparisons to last year end. Rafa flipped it, looks better in three comes back from a breakdown in four. Your thoughts on that match, Nadal essentially taking it from Novak when Novak had the momentum after set two, and that I think ultimately propelled Nadal to this French Open title. I think you're right. I agree 100%. I think the Nadal fans get slightly miffed with me when I say that I didn't really 
think that Djokovic was totally himself in that match from a, whether it be from a mental or a physical perspective. And there are some people that argued, Mitch, that he didn't get enough sets in because he was breezing so much through the tournament that he, maybe he wasn't as conditioned as Rafa was. But there was a point where Rafa made um, a very poor drop shot. And um, it was actually the first point of the game when Novak was trying to serve out the set. And um, Djokovic just turned away from the ball instead of running for it, which the drop shot landed right around the service line. He could have easily gotten to it. And even Jim Courier noticed on the telecast, that's... Why didn't he run for that? That's really incredible and, and just not like Novak Djokovic at all. So I don't know if he was affected by the reception that he got. You know, he was booed coming onto the court, which I thought was very disrespectful. Or if he just, you know, some days you take the court and you're just not in your right frame of mind. You just don't have it mentally or physically. So I give Nadal all the credit in the world for winning that match. But at the same time, it wasn't typical Novak. I agree with that. Uh, just on a side note, and I love listening to, to Courier and Goodall call matches. Um, yeah. The point where they both kind of hit bad shots was great when Courier's like, it just proves that everyone's human. Like, I forget yeah. the, the timing of yeah. it, but it was just two bad shots in a row. It's like, even the greatest ever can do that. I agree with what you said on Novak not having it. And I don't think it was sets in this tournament. I just, as great as these guys are, Amy, you can't replicate match play. And Novak had been ramping up, but it's different when you're a well-conditioned machine playing tournaments weekly. He hasn't had that this year. And I think that's kind of been a difference for him. Uh, I really do. I think there is another level for him to get to. Uh, with his with his game, we've seen it certainly, but he wasn't there. And and I don't want to take any credit away from from Rafa at all. But Novak has played better. Like we have seen that on this surface, especially. Hundred percent. And you make a great point about replication of match play, and not just physically, mentally. When you're playing a match, you get into a certain routine with the voices in your head and how you deal with the pressures. And when you're away from that for weeks and months, then it's like a muscle and, and you're just not completely in tune. So that's a great point. I have one other Rafa point that I wanted to bring up and it kept coming up to me during that fourth set. He's down a break, Novak's up, he's up two sets to one. Do you think that there's, do you think that there's anything to the credence that most players, a lot of players smartly, might say Novak's up with Rafa and all the miles and all the conditions that they might have gone, okay, I just got to get to the fifth set and start fresh. Rafa is so not wired that way. He's going to compete till the wheels fall off that in that fourth set down a break, Novak serving for the set to level it, he's still digging in, fighting as hard as ever. Do you think that from a competitive level, that might be what sets him apart from, we can go tennis players, we can go other athletes, but there really is no one like him. Yeah, I mean, there are in maybe in other sports like Tom Brady or, or Michael Jordan, but in this sport, you're right. And this year in particular, Mitch, and he's had an incredible year, Rafa has. I have seen him down a break in a set so many times that I, it doesn't even phase me anymore when I see that because I'm like, well, he's only down one break, you know, I, I'm sure he'll come back and, and either break back or, or 
get this thing in a tie break. And it happens time and time again. But in terms of, you know, the player on the opposite end of that, when they get down a break, what are they thinking? What are their processes? I don't know. I have no idea. I would love to be a fly on the wall inside their brain. The competitive level that he shows is really uh, unprecedented, unmatched in this sport. He's one of the truly greats that we've seen in any athletic field. Uh, and just looking at it, I know there's never, we're never going to be able to slam the door on the greatest talk until they're all done playing, but he's got 22 grand slams now. I mean, he is, he's, his resume just keeps getting better. And as I said, he's going to be, you know, as long as he plays now, the foot injury is an issue, but as long as he plays this tournament, he's going to be the favorite and he's going to be in the mix to keep adding to his incredible legacy though. I do worry about the foot saying he played the final when he was, when it was asleep. And him basically leveling. He's always been the most pragmatic, practical guy. He says, look, if this is going to be a long-term quality of life thing, he's comfortable walking away. Oh, that would be so sad. I mean, but what a, what a way to end it. You know, it, it, the way that he's been talking, though, Mitch, it's about solutions. Like, we don't have a solution right now, but we are going to try this. Um, and then if this doesn't work, perhaps we try this solution. So it, it's apparently an incredibly rare disease mm -hmm. and more than one medical expert is going to weigh in on potential solutions. So I, it, all this is, is what I'm trying to say is I don't think we're going to get a retirement announcement eminently. Mm -hmm. And the way that the rest of the year plays out is a real mystery. Don't you just love the fact, though, that with him, it's always this innocence of he just loves tennis. He loves the process. Like these comments coming out, like I can't practice as hard. I can't play the lead up events. We would all, we, I mean, he could just play the French open and, and practice on his own time and we would still view him the same, but he just loves the process of being a pro tennis player because he loves the game. Totally. You know, there was a point in that Zverev match when the roof was, was closed and it was like a sauna in there. And I thought to myself, you love this. Or you also love where this. he's frying in uh, what was it the Manorino yes. match? He's literally frying out there. It's like 110 degrees. And Manorino is pushing him all over the court and just won't go away in some of those rallies. And I thought I would be, and I love tennis, but I would be miserable out there. But this is apparently what the guy loves. And in some of the pressure where just watching it on TV, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And yet this is what Rafael Nadal loves. He loves that moment of competition. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Amy Lundy here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, uh, as the rest of the men's game goes and, and trying to give credit and talk about different storylines to the people that didn't hoist the trophy because only one can do that, we had some good developments uh, on the men's side. We talked about Nadal and Djokovic, but I do want to give a shout-out to Marin Cilic for making his run to the semifinals, which probably the most, I, I say, improbable this year. I don't know anybody that really had him making a deep run giving, given his injury history and what's gone on, but... Chilich looked great, ran out of gas against Casper Ruud, but props to Marin Chilich for putting it together and proving that he can maybe have 
a second wind, making a semifinal at the French Open. He's an all surface player. He has an incredible forehand. He has a great serve um, that serves him well on, on any surface. And it's fantastic to see him back again. You know, the what happened in between the last time Marin Chilich was really good and now that he's getting really good again is that he had a child, he had some life changes and, and stuff like that. And I think basically what's happened is he's just getting his tennis feet back and he's getting his confidence back. Yeah, it's been great to see. Uh, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame discussion, has a major, was one match away from a final in all four majors. So uh, he's definitely in the mix. Uh, even though, even though Casper Ruud lost the final kind of going away to Nadal, I don't want to take away from what that accomplishment means. This kid from Norway, who at 23 years old, 23, 24 years old is into a major, a French open final. Some will say that he's, you know, getting the most out of it and the draw opened up, but Amy, he still made a final at a French open. And it's just a tremendous accomplishment for somebody who's put the time in and had to steadily rise up the rankings as opposed to just, you know, lightning fast, like Alcaraz or other names. Rude is not a flash in the pan. He made the finals of Miami on a different surface. Um, I think, though, Mitch, he's going to have to figure out what to do about the backhand and um, how he's going to attack that wing going forward. Um, and he's already just recently announced within the last 24 hours, I think, that he's not going to play any grass warm-ups. He's going to go right into Wimbledon. So, you know, it it's, makes sense. He's probably exhausted. Mm -hmm. But um, he's a consistent player. He's got a, a great mentality. And uh, I think the, the trajectory for him is up, especially if he can figure out what to do about the backhand. Agree with that. Uh, and I also think, I mean, I, I was a big fan of the Scandinavian matchup, maybe not the ending of it, but, but yeah. it was good to see, uh, you know, and there's, I mean, we can also talk about another player in the straw that I think has made strides and that is Felix Ojealiasim who pushed Nadal to five sets. The only guy to do that. I think we're starting to see more consistency with Felix. He's still super young. I have to keep reminding everybody that with younger players coming up, but it is a process and He's quietly putting together some great major runs. I mean, this is U.S. Open, what, quarterfinals, followed by a, a semi where he had match points up two sets against Medvedev, and now a, a great performance against Rafa. Felix is throwing his hat in the race, too, as being one of the premier next-gen next guys to actually get deep into tournaments and push the best in the game. Felix is so on the cusp. He is right there. Remember, Felix beat Roger Federer on grass a year ago, I think. Um, so he's shown that he can hang with the greats. He gave Nadal the hardest time of anyone in this tournament, including Djokovic. So he is so close. I think at this point, Mitch, it's got to be just about confidence and getting over that final hurdle. Yeah. I mean, in, in sets, I think, what was it? Two and four against Rafa. He looked very good. I mean, it's, it's something to play a guy that great, that tough. Is, is there anybody else on the men's side that you want to bring up for better, for worse, what you saw in this French open? Well, not what I saw in the French open, but I wanted to bring up Berrettini who everybody's forgotten <laughs> a, a little bit about. He played uh, this week, yesterday or today and uh, beat Albert. Um, and he, the, he beat him in three sets, which was fine. I mean, he hasn't had match play in forever, yeah. but Berrettini said that his hand that he'd had a uh, minor surgery on felt really good, like zero pain. 
remember uh, Berrettini made the finals of Wimbledon. So um, grass is a really good surface for him, especially given his serve. He's yeah. one to watch. We're going into a grass court season where it doesn't look like there's going to be Nadal. There's players that haven't really played or have match play. You know, Novak is, is a favorite. Russian players can't play. Point being that Berrettini is one to watch because he is one of the few that has a very great resume on this surface making the final last year. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to talk about the women's game, Amy. And, uh, I mean, we just keep doing it. I feel like every week on this show we go, all right, women's tennis, and it's Iga Fiontech because she won her second French Open title, 21 years old, and has 35 straight wins tied with Venus for the most in the 21st century on the WTA. And it was another, it was annihilation. All due respect to Coco Goff, she got the same result that everybody else has been getting, and that's an easy breezy ego win. She's incredible to watch. Kamal Murray pointed out how fast she plays. She's so locked into the moment, but she is flying through these opponents, both literally and figuratively. That's a great point by Murray. And if I'm trying to knock her off, that may be something that I look at. Um, how do I disrupt her rhythm a little bit? I think, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit against conventional wisdom, and I think she is going to be vulnerable on grass. In her favor, she's a fantastic mover, which you need on grass, just as you do on clay. Um, but I think the forehand, which is her major weapon, is um, it, the timing of it is actually perfect for clay. So I want to see how she adjusts to the grass and right. also her serve, which is not her biggest weapon. And everybody with a big serve um, benefits from playing on grass. I think with Ego, you bring up good points. Do want to also point out, though, for full transparency, as, as many people are saying now, junior Wimbledon champion. So that's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but bring up good points in the sense that, you know, she's somebody else that like grass, like it, it, Tracy Austin told me once that it, it all comes together at once because there's just so little reps on the surface. It's a three week season. The thing with Iga that, that you bring up the serve, not being a weapon actually frightens me. It would frighten me if I was coaching or, or one of these WTA players, because she's doing all this without getting a lot of free points on the serve. My biggest takeaway from Iga, and, and you bring up great points on her game and it being perfect for clay, but when you win this many matches in a row, it's the mental challenge of not just who you're beating, but just getting up out of bed every morning, going to the court and approaching it with kind of putting the expectations to the back of your mind. She's been able to win a tournament, go back into the, go into the next tournament, start from zero where that tournament doesn't mean anything in the event that you're in and be able to handle expectations as good as any young player that I've seen man or woman in a very long time. That is a great point. I hadn't really thought about that, but I know with tennis players, as with other aspects of life, some people have a personality where they're really good front runners. They're, they're good um, and they get better and better and better and build more and more and more confidence as their results improve and their track record improves. Then there's others that sort of panic in that situation. Like, oh my God, I did all this. Now I've got to keep it up. I'll never keep it up. I feel like I'm on a treadmill. Well, Iga seems to be the opposite of that. So that would definitely be a point in her favor. She's going to, I mean, not breaking news, but there will be losses. There'll be a dip in her game. There will be points where she's not at her best and somebody will get her. How she responds to that is something to watch, but it's just been impressive to see how mature she's been in these moments. 
and she is, as we've said, she's an unreal athlete. I think she that that's part of the low key thing, and, and the way she plays has just been been very good to see. Um, we'll see. I mean, who who do you think can be someone to challenge her in grass court season into the U.S. North American summer hard court swing? Because that's the other side of this, right, Amy? That is that a contender hasn't really emerged. So who can be? I will probably have to take it surface by surface, but you know, who do you think can be one to challenge Iga? for some of these tournaments? Normally, I would not say golf because of the big windup on the forehand and how on grass, the, the forehand and the ground strokes really need to be abbreviated. But Coco Golf plays well at Wimbledon. Yeah. So um, I think if, if she's not too crushed by what happened in the final, and, and she doesn't seem to have that kind of personality, I think she would be a contender. And with the serve, I like the big servers like Sabalenka on grass at Wimbledon. So um, you're right. Like what goes up must come down. She will lose eventually. She's a human being. Um, I think one of the more fascinating um, storylines throughout tennis is how is Iga going to play at Wimbledon? It certainly is. And as far as Coco goes, obviously I'm a, I'm a big fan, uh, very athletic, hard to fin finish points against her, but the forehand is an issue that she's going to have to work on against these top players. You saw it in the match against Ego where she was targeting it. She was giving her opportunities to hit winners on her forehand and it wasn't meant to be in the, and the higher you go up in the tennis game, these players are so smart, cerebral, their coaches are working on game plans. That's one for Coco to, uh, approach it's like the, the opportunity is there for the taking right like there is a opening for a top 10 player to get up and challenge Igus Fiontech it's just about who's going to put together great results and I I am very intrigued I, I will put it that way but there is a clear number one at the top of the women's game and it is as clear as day and as clear as it's been in a long time this this run does harken back to i know there's a long way to get to those resumes but this feels like a williams sister run in the sense that we all know who the top dog is yeah it's just so tragic maybe that's too strong of a word say. yeah that Barty retired yeah. i mean what this is something that women's tennis has needed and begged for a rivalry and Barty has such a good serve um her her height notwithstanding um that this would have been such a cool sort of dovetail matchup in terms of one player's strengths to another player's strengths but that's okay. Barty's going to be playing golf in my area over in New Jersey next month in a, in a cool kind of golf exhibition. Um, so maybe I'll wander over there and see what she's up to. I would. I think I mean, <laughs> she's picking up another sport that she's good at. I, I think that's bragging a little too much. But no, I, I think that, you know, it, it would have been good to see. Barty had beaten her a few times. Iga hadn't found that groove yet. Uh, but that would have been a great rivalry. And you know, there's, there's certain matches that all bring it together. This is the last thing I'll say on Iga, I, I've gone on record on this show. It was in uh, Doha. I think the first tournament that she won, uh, she beat Sakari for the first time in her career. I felt like that was the match where it was like, I got through a, an opponent I couldn't beat. And then she just hit the ground running. So we'll see mm -hmm. 35 and counting. It could be a while before she loses, but the women's tour has the depth to create new contenders and new up and coming players. We'll see who sticks together, but uh, as far as the women's side on the on Roland Garros, anybody else that stood out to you in this tournament for 
doing well, overseeing expectations or, or anything of that nature, Amy? You know who I really like is that Jill Teichman. Um, yeah. She's got some, some scrap and some, um, you know, some inability to uh, back down in some of the tougher rallies. I almost picked her to go to the final four of this tournament. I think she's a player to watch. I'm, I'm very interested in her game. She beat Naomi Osaka last year at uh, the Western and Southern in Cincinnati. And I thought that was a very good performance, showed that she was battle tested, not afraid at the moment. Uh, I'll give a shout out to, and I know she was banged up at the end, but Layla Fernandez bouncing back, winning some tough matchups. I know she was feeling it by the end of that tournament, but it was a, a good performance. And then Sloane Stevens making another, you know, run in France, uh, getting, you know, to the quarterfinal round, I think was good for her too. So we'll see there there's, this is a deep talent pool. And before, and before I forget, Jesse Pagula, top 10, first oh, yeah. in her career, top ranked American. So want to show some love there as well. Absolutely. Um, she, I, I actually didn't expect her to have such a great run um, after losing to Jabor, but uh, she did. She's just rock solid. Um, I would love to see her continue to improve and, and especially on the other surfaces. This isn't a flash in the pan for her either, because it's two solid years, two and a half, three solid years of getting better, of playing and beating the best. I think Pliskova still has nightmares of seeing her in a draw, but yeah. she's just kind of working her way up. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, Amy Wendy here on Tennis Channel Insight, and we'll we kind of get to the grass court season. Uh, one of the players we did want to talk about was Emma Raducanu. Unfortunately, another uh, injury in her first uh, grass court match, really. She goes out with another injury. She's had some coaching changes. There's a lot made about the success and what comes with being a major champion at, at such a young age and being a British tennis player in that storied country as well. But it's unfortunate what's been happening in recent memory with Emma. She just gets some momentum, but then can't really sustain it. How do you break down what Emma Raducanu is going through and what do you see for her in the near future as we keep going in the 2022 season? Mitch, so much has been written about Emma Raducanu and why she's struggling right now. And a lot is being said about her endorsements and her off the court. So I've been really interested in just her tennis. Mm -hmm. What is going on in terms of the X's and O's and the numbers? And I got my hands on a huge data set um, involving what she did in that historic U.S. Open run and what her percentages were in all sorts of categories, serve, return, zero to four, all that. And then I have started to compare it to what she's done since. And one thing that's, it's, it's early days in my little analysis, but one thing that's kind of bubbled up is actually her first serve percentage. She's putting a very, very high percentage of first serve in. Well, you think, well, that's not a bad thing, you know, to get a, a lot of your first serve in, but 
if you think of the great uh, servers on the men's tour, like um, Isner and um, Medvedev, these guys have a sweet spot of percentage of first serve in, which is the mid 60s. Even Medvedev, I think, is 62, and he's phenomenal server. Because if you're putting too much of your first serve in, you're probably not going for enough. And then if you look at Radakanu's first serve percentage of points one, it's a little too low. And it's lower than what she did at the US Open. So I'm just going to give you one example. Her round of 64 match at the Miami Open, she put 80% of first serves in, and she only won 57% of those. So that's not the dichotomy that you want. So um, I think it would really be great for Radicano to just look at the service in general because her speeds are not off. There's nothing wrong with her speed. They're, her motion, I mean, I'm not a technical guru, but her motion seems good to me. And, um, you know, just, just look at the approach to the service in general, first and second serve, and see, is this what we want? Right. No, that, that's, that's an interesting point. And one that I think a lot of tennis fans don't think about is that you might not be going for enough. You might not be hitting certain targets. And first things first, want her to get healthy, want her to stay out there and pushing off the side, the, the off court stuff. And, and that's for another time, another day. But do you think, I mean, I know what I think, but do you think it might benefit her to have a long time relationship with the coach, as opposed to all these changes that seem to be happening with her and her team, how she keeps shuffling through coaches? Absolutely, 100%. And I've been talking to some people on tour um, when I was in Paris, and pretty much the entire tennis world says the same thing. She really needs a consistent full-time coach um, that can help her navigate some of the, the, just the tennis stuff, whether it be a technical issue or um, an approach to the game. I think, as you quoted Tracy Austin earlier, as we were talking, um, a great player once said to me that the aim of tennis is to work easier, not harder. In other words, get the easy power so that you're not grinding yourself to a pulp. Right. And um, a little bit of that may be going on. She may be thinking, I don't need a coach if I just work harder, yeah. if I just practice harder. She made a comment about um, getting a good practice partner, a sparring partner, um, and not really needing a coach. Um, that's not really the answer, especially at her age. So I definitely think a, a good, solid, long-term coach would benefit her. Yeah. I mean, it's the old adage, right? Work smarter, not harder. And I yeah. think that's something that will come with age, but I think consistency is good. I know coaching partnerships don't last forever. We saw it with Contevit and Terzanoff breaking up, but you need a consistent voice for a sustained run. And I think she, it would benefit her to have that because the game's still there. And I think there's still a lot of career left. So we'll see what happens. Uh, another British tennis player that's back is Andy Murray on grass court. He's, he's still going strong. Uh, it's great to see him. I know it's, it's somebody that's still chasing that perfection at his age with the miles on there. I never got your opinion though, Amy, on, on the great tennis wildcard debate of 2022 that seems to be happening. What your thoughts are on, you know, he, he made noise at Madrid by getting a wild card and some players, some Spanish players took offense of that, but do you have a strong preference one way or another on this wild card debate? I'm so glad you asked. 
I definitely have a preference on on this, and that is that Andy Murray deserves wild cards. <laughs> he yeah. is a Grand Slam champion. He is a fabulous ambassador for the sport. He engages with fans on Twitter. He practices. Um, he is. He sells tickets. He's a draw. Mm -hmm. um, he's a TV ratings draw. If Andy Murray wants to play any tournament on the planet, I personally would give him a wild card in a hot second. Yeah, two things for me. Tennis tournaments are events. They, they're run by organizers. They can do whatever they want to draw and sell tickets. And number two, nobody actually deserves a wild card. Like it's, it's if you're in that range, you know, you could always get your ranking up and not have to deal with it. I know it's a source, it's a sore subject. I've heard tennis players actually say that point blank. So I agree. I mean, it's good to, you know, it's good to see him out there. I know he loves grass. I know every time he plays Wimbledon for the rest of his career, he's going to get that hero's welcome, not just because he's the two-time champion, Amy, but because he's one of them. He's one of the British people and this is their hero in a lot of ways. Totally. That's what wild cards are, Mitch. They're wild. I mean, if if it were to be determined by record or ranking or you're the next highest ranked player on the list, then it wouldn't be called a wild card. And I, I agree with you 100%. And um, actually, I have um, a friend whose daughter that is sort of a local girl. She played at Duke and she got a wild card to a WTA tournament based on relationships. And she lost, she lost the match pretty bad, but the experience of it was life-changing. And she will always be able to say that she played in a WTA match. And she got the wild card based on just everything that she had meant to the, that local community. So I think that the wild card system is one of the few things in tennis that is fine. Don't touch it. It's good. Sometimes it goes to somebody who gets it based on rankings. Sometimes it doesn't. That's fine. It's wild. There we go. See, we need more, and I'm guilty of it too, but we need more positivity with things we like about tennis instead of yes. always complaining <laughs> about all the stuff we don't. Uh, before we go, uh, Wimbledon coming up, I do also want to quickly mention, uh, I hope, I don't know if it's going to set doubles tennis back if Kyrgios and Bublik do well, but that's a team that I just, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> well, um, it's going to get me to watch doubles and, um, you know, it's funny, I am a more of a doubles player, but I really enjoy the mano a mano singles competition. But there are some doubles situations out there, particularly at Wimbledon. Those can be fun. And uh, that one I will watch 100%. Yeah, we haven't gotten word right. Naomi Osaka says she's playing mixed doubles, but she's keeping it close to the vest. Is that right? Like, I think I think I remember a lot of them are. And and there's some talk too about Radicanu, um, potentially partnering with Andy Murray. I, I think a lot of these people uh, play it co close to the vest until just before the tournament for whatever and, reason. Andy's like the dream part. Like everybody would want to play with him for a variety of reasons, but you know, being he's, he's number one on the pe pecking order. He can play with anybody he wants. In Remember up. when, when he played with Serena yeah. at Wimbledon, so entertaining. <laughs> and after the match, you know, it was when he was just coming back from his injury. And after the match, he said that Serena carried him and you know what she did. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely the more accomplished doubles player there for sure. Uh, Amy, this has been a pleasure. Uh, we're getting ready for Wimbledon. So I just wanted to end on this. You know, unfortunately, 
not going to be a full field with players not allowed to play. Ranking points are not going to be a part of it. It's going to be a different Wimbledon for sure. We're not going to have Federer, Serena. They won't have rankings after Wimbledon, which is kind of insane. Uh, and guys like Novak Djokovic could win the tournament and he'll be down to, I think, seven in the ranking afterwards. So we're gearing up for a different, you know, a little, a definitely an unconventional Wimbledon. It's still going to have the same prestige and the meaning to the players that play it. But I think we should brace ourselves for this just being a different type of Wimbledon. Yeah, you know, and I actually earlier I mentioned Sabalenka and I just realized she's Belarusian. She's not going to be able to play. I think I've been in denial um, and I haven't really been thinking about it because I've been so consumed with the French Open. I'm really bummed out about it, even though I have to say that I understand the actions um, of the country and of the All England Club. I just haven't really given it that much thought, but I do know that Wimbledon is Wimbledon and there's no, even though there's not going to be points awarded, um, there is no bloom off the onion, so to speak. It's still a very prestigious event. It still means the world to people and there's still prize money, Mitch. And the last I checked, these players need money. That's true. That's true. And, you know, there's the historical ramifications. All the majors will count the same for whoever wins it. Um, it's going to be it's going to be wild to see. And it's fascinating that a guy like Novak could win and then see his points from the last year drop off. Uh, I, I do want to I guess I want to end with this. I mean, do you think there is a timetable for when we're going to see Roger Federer on the tennis court again? It's so funny you asked that because I just checked. I scoured everything, the internet. You know, I, I ran some things past a couple people before I came on here because I wanted to have the very latest. He's been quiet and he didn't even do his typical customary tweeting at, at Nadal, although Nadal says that Federer sent him a private message congratulating him on winning Roland Garros. But all signs point to that Labor Cup and um, so I'm, I'm hoping that Roger will post some videos go, going forward in the next couple of months so that we can see what the forehand looks like, what the serve looks like, what the backhand looks like. But he hasn't said he's not going to play the Labor Cup. So that seems to be where he's pointing. Well, we know that uh, any Federer we get at this point is just like a gift. It's like a blessing to see however much Tennessee has left. And uh, I think we would agree that he fits in that Andy Murray category of deserving all the wild cards he gets. Absolutely. I mean, there's just some players that uh, they don't have to worry about it. Was it Rotterdam last uh, couple years ago, obviously, when he was chasing the number one ranking? He announced last minute and they sold out within like an hour. <laughs> Something yes. comical like that. And, and after he retires, even his exhibitions are going to be that way. So who doesn't want to watch the guy play? I feel the same way. Uh, Amy Lundy, appreciate you joining Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, we'll have to keep a lookout. You guys are doing great work. You, Gil Gross, Jill Jucker on uh, three uh, and still going strong. You know, there was worries, uh, you know, a little bit ago, how much more tennis is there going to be for the content of this show three, but <laughs> just one, they've won another major. So let's just keep adding to the show and uh, really a fun lesson. I, I, I appreciate your work as always. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you as always. That was Amy Lundy on Tennis Channel Inside In. We will be back next week for more tennis, more coverage of the sport we know and love. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast for Tennis Channel Inside In, for three for all the shows on our network. 
And uh, we'll be back, as I said, grass court season underway for Amy Wendy. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.